0: 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630
1: Chad. And now you've got Kajula looking for the activating nurse. He's got him to win it. Nurse shoots and scores! Darnell Nurse! Riley
2: takes the staff, settles into the pocket. He's got some time. Now he's going deep, looking down the sidelines. Oh, what a catch! And that's going to be a touchdown all the way to the end zone for
0: Darrell Walker. An absolute bomb! Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad.
2: in the tennis this afternoon. Two Canadians playing in the first round of the U.S. Open. Denis Shapovalov against his good friend Felix Oje Aliasim, and unfortunately OJ Aliasim had to retire in the third set with Shapovalov up 7-5, 5-7, 4-1. Aliasim had already been visited by a doctor during a changeover in the third set. He said he was having trouble controlling his heart rate, so uh, he eventually uh, pulls out of the match Shapovalov, the 19-year-old. Uh, moves on to the second round. Also today, another Canadian, Milos Raonic, advancing. He beats Carlos Burlock, 7-6, 6-4, 1-6, 6-3. Blue Jays in action against the Orioles. Now, of course, uh, neither one of these teams going to the postseason, but Toronto's Kendris Morales trying to tie a major league record by hitting a home run in his eighth consecutive game. He's done it seven games in a row, only eight times in history or pardon me, three times in history has someone hit eight eight in a row. Don Mattingly, 1987, Ken Griffey Jr., 1993, and Dale Long. Dale Long with the 1956 Pittsburgh Pirates. And uh, I had to look up what team Dale Long played for because I honestly didn't know about that. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Hope your week's off to a great start. It's 6:07. My name is Reed Wilkins. This is Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 6:30. Chet. Some guests on the show get gift certificates to Northern Chicken, bringing down home southern food and other tasty treats. Salivate over the menu at NorthChickenYeg.com. Visit them in person they're at 124th Street and 107th Avenue so the Eskimos uh, still another week until their next game Monday Labor Day at Calgary we'll have it for you 11:30 in the morning for the countdown to kick off the game will start at 1 and of course we are uh, inching closer to the start of Edmonton Oilers season in fact their first uh, preseason contest will be on September 17th and the one question mark hanging over the team what is going on with Darnell Nurse, why is it taking so long for him uh, to sign a contract? He is a restricted free agent and a nurse uh, 23 years of age. Speaking today at a BioSteel camp, and he uh, didn't appear too concerned. No matter how how long it takes or um, you know what, what goes down, I'm always ready to go,
1: and, and that's uh, that's my main focus. on the puck drops, that uh, that will be there. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's a funny uh, it's a funny process. It's very educational. I'm learning a lot uh, going through this whole contract. It, it takes it takes time, um, and uh, I have a lot of faith. I'll be there. I can. not I like to. I like to stay pretty involved in everything that's going on, and uh, you know, this. Uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's. We're talking about my life here too. not just my agent. So, uh, yeah, will get. It'll get done. I think uh, you know the, the, the talking and whatnot that stays between the agent and the uh, agent and the GM. I kind of just sit uh, sit on the sidelines and let them do the work. Uh, either way, I got. Uh, I got a lot of proof still, and uh, no, it doesn't matter how long it is. I think uh, I'm just gonna be hungry to get uh, get
2: out there at camp. You can go to capfriendly.com. Good resource for hockey fans. They have the Oilers' current cap space at just under $4 million. Uh, Obviously, Scotty Upshaw in camp on a PTO. There's not a lot of room there for Darnell Nurse if he's looking for much over $3 million, which I'm sure he is. Now, there's the possibility of putting Andre Sekera on long-term injured reserve. But what if he were to come back before the end of the season? Then you'd have to worry about uh, getting rid of somebody to free up some space. I I don't think he's going to hold out. I don't think he will make training camp. Or I don't think he will miss training camp. Uh, But clearly the Secker injury gives Nurse a little bit more leverage than he would have had otherwise. The Oilers' defense is not strong and losing a veteran like Sekra, not good at all. So that's a story we'll continue watching here as we move along. By the way, you can text 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. Connor McDavid, also at this BioSteel camp, uh, you may have seen the tweet earlier today from Sportsnet's Chris Johnston, does an excellent job covering the NHL. Uh, He said one of McDavid's priorities is to do... Even more of McDavid this. making a steal on Milano, 2 on 1 short-handed, Nugent-Hopkins back to McDavid. Backhander score. Shorthanded handed goal for Connor McDavid. Scoring goals, what it's all about. Connor McDavid had 41 last season, including 26 in the final 33 games of the year. Now, no, those games were not meaningful in the standings to the Edmonton Oilers. They did allow McDavid to uh, wind up being the leading scorer in the league for the second straight year. McDavid, in his first season, cut short by injury, scored 16 times. His shooting percentage was 15.2. In his second year, when the Oilers made the playoffs and he won the Hart Trophy, he scored 30 times and shot 12%. Uh, Last year, 41 goals, shooting 15%. I'm going to call this right now, folks. And you know generally I... Hate-slash-mock-predictions. I guess I have a hate-mock relationship with predictions, as opposed to a love-hate. Uh, I think the the, uh, the young man is going to score 50 or more this season. Uh, I think it's realistic that his shooting percentage for his career can be in the 15% range. He, uh, he'll he need to shoot a little more if he's at 15%. He had 274 shots last year, that was 13th most in the NHL. I I going. To, I think he's going to come in with uh, more of a focus to shoot. He does have a good shot. If he can get up to 334 shots, 60 more, and he shoots 15%, he gets to 50 goals. Uh, five players in the NHL had more than 300 shots last season, so it's not out of the realm of possibility that he does it, and we've talked about it a lot, if their power play is actually... Any like if their power play is not incompetent, you would think McDavid would score more. Anyway, fun little thing to watch. Yeah, I think he scores 50 plus. I really do. I, I I think he scores over 50. Maybe his assists drop a little bit if he's not shooting as much. But he's one of those players, and and Gretzky went through this. Crosby had years in his careers where he've decided to I, I'm going to get better at this. These guys have a lot of talent. They have the work ethic. They have the focus and I think if McDavid decides, uh, you know what? I'm taking it to the net more. I'm going to be more aggressive with my shot. I'm going to work on my shot. I'm going to look into ways to score more, to get the puck to the net more. I think he's just that talented that he produces. So I'm calling it right now. uh, McDavid over... I'll even give everybody a number, Kellen. 53 goals for Connor McDavid. There it is right there on August 27th. Wow. 53 goals for Connor McDavid. Now... If he continues on the pace he finished the year at, 26 goals in his last 33, well, then, then who knows what the ceiling is. But mm-hmm. I'll call 53 over the course of a season where you have some ebbs and flows. So anyway, there's your Oilers update today. Of course, you can text 636-30, the phone number seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Some other notes from the weekend. Sky Promise wins the Canadian Derby, the final one at Northlands Park. It'll be going to the new Century Mile uh, out by the, uh, by the airport and Redtail Landing Golf Course. That Edmonton Showdown, Prairie Junior Football Conference, Saturday night at Clark. Huskies beat the Wildcats 41-12. Huskies go to 2-0, Wildcats 0-2. The Huskies' next game will be against Regina. The Wildcats are going to play the Calgary Colts. How about this, guys? The uh, Colts are 0-2. They've been outscored 125-1. In two losses, they've been outscored 125-1. The Colts lost to the Huskies 66-0, and then they lost to Saskatoon 59-1. So, in other words, they improved. Deron Carter has signed with Toronto, but head coach Mark Trestman says he will not play in the upcoming Labor Day home and home against the Hamilton Tiger Cats. What a weekend for Canadian golf. Brooke Henderson wins the Canadian Women's Open. Adam Stanley was there covering it. You'll hear from him when we get back. This is JC
0: Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chat.
2: And more on the Eskimos from 7.30 to 8 tonight. The Eskimos will get packed to the practice field on Wednesday to, to prepare for the Labor Day Classic in Calgary, but head coach Jason Moss will be in studio tonight with Morley Scott for our weekly edition of the Eskimos Coaches Show. I mentioned that about Durant Carter not playing in the next couple of games for Toronto. How about this? uh, BC receiver Manny Arsenault torn ACL. So he's been put on the six-game injured list. uh, Obviously expected to miss the rest of the season. Big blow for the BC Lions, who uh, fell further behind in the West on Saturday night with that loss to the Saskatchewan Roughriders. Johnny Manziel practiced today with the Alouettes. He is uh, still on the concussion protocol but looking closer to returning I, and i gotta say pipkin from tiffin he's looking pretty good uh, i mean i, I thought he, he you know did fine against the eskimos I mean, kept it safe uh, got the ball off looked even better against the argos he did have a pick six but that was one his receiver tipped up in the air and uh, the, the toronto db grabbed it and took about it. i i thought pipkin played pretty solid but, but they got Manzel, so clearly they're going to use him if he's uh, if he's healthy. A lot to follow there in the Canadian Football League, really getting into crunch time of the season. Bottom of the fourth now, still scoreless between the Blue Jays and Baltimore. Kellen, remember last week, mm. uh, I was trying to remember the uh, the most losses in a Major League Baseball season. Well, right. You can go back to 1899 and look at the Cleveland Spiders. Uh, but recently... Since the turn of the century, great team name. I can't by the believe way. we can see. Yeah, incredible. The mascot was a little creepy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the 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 Tigers in 2003 lost 119 games. They finished the year with a 265. Winning percentage. Mm-hmm. This year's Orioles, much better. They're at a 282. Oh, wow. Yeah, far superior. There we go. Uh, they are 37-94 and 94 with an eight-game losing streak coming into tonight's game against the Blue Jays. So probably won't have the worst record this century. So anyway, ju- I just want to clarify that because I knew I brought it up spur of the moment last week, and I couldn't remember the exact stat. Yeah, that Tigers team was bad. bad. Here's really a great bad. stat. One as in the place Canadian Brooke Henderson finished in over the weekend at the LPGA Canadian Open in Regina. Adam Stanley was covering the tournament for the Canadian Press. Adam, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, good to talk to you. And uh, man, what, what a weekend for Canadian golf. Uh, you were there on the scene. I, I got to just ask you about the, the vibe first, I, I mean, the the gallery, the fans, uh, you know, the energy for Brooke. You just t- take us through the vibe of actually witnessing this win in person.
3: Yeah, it was, it was pretty wild because the weather was not great on Sunday, and I, I definitely thought personally that there wasn't going to be the kind of crowd that we saw early on in the week when weather was just perfect but i was definitely proved wrong the uh, regina faithful came out in in force on sunday uh, pretty much just followed the brooke henderson group around all day long which made total sense and you know as soon as that 18th uh, hole tee shot was hit by brooke and she pumped it down the middle 300 yards and uh, she was leading by three and it was pretty much a foregone conclusion that she was going to win uh, to let the fans go and run onto the fairway after Brooke had approached the green. And it was one big circle uh, of all the, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, probably thousands of people who were there uh, just on that one hole. It was uh, something really special. Gail Graham, Canadian Golf Hall of Famer, had tears in her eyes. Lori Kane had tears in her eyes as well. Well, her and Elena got the champagne ready to go. And uh, it was just one of those moments, not just in Canadian golf, but I think in Canadian sports. And uh, that's gonna live on for for a very long time.
2: Well, and as much as we're we're celebrating henderson's victory and and of course we should, um, I mean she's she's turning twenty in a couple or pardon me, turning twenty one in a in a couple of in a couple of weeks. Uh, i mean we're we're still, i I would think strongly in in the best-is-yet-to-come territory here. And, and I know you tweeted out some stats about you know, her, her victories and, and what could still be coming. I mean, she's already on pace to have the best pro career of, of any Canadian golfer.
3: Yeah, I actually just got off the phone with Mike Weir a little while ago, and I asked him if he would be uh, upset if his record fell, and he said, oh, no way, I think that going to blow past that mark. So, right now, the most wins by professionals, male or female, is eight. for uh, Sandra Post and, of course, Mike Weir, they all have eight wins. Uh, and this was Brooke's seventh, and she's 20 years old. So, to your point, I think we've got uh, at least a decade, if not more, of prime Brooke Henderson golf playing time. And who knows how many wins she's going to end up getting. Uh, Mike Weir did tell me that he thinks that after this victory and, and having this huge weight and, and being able to check this massive box on her list of things that she wanted to accomplish in her career, he kind of thinks the floodgates are going to open. He says he wouldn't be surprised if Brooke goes on a bit of a run and gets four, maybe even five wins in a season. She's just that good. So, you know, a big-time celebration for this particular victory because it was so special being on home soil. Uh, but I think it's kind of one of those best is yet to come type situations for sure
2: well and, and adam another story from behind this uh is it both her grandfathers passed away in the last year brooke both of brooke's grandfathers not just the last year in the last month
3: actually so they've uh they've had a rough go the henderson family over the last little while brooke told me specifically uh a couple weeks ago that the her first grandfather did pass away was totally unexpected and then the second one passed away as well also unexpectedly. So they, uh, you know, they were obviously getting older, but uh, the the death certainly hit the family pretty hard. Uh, She had to withdraw from the U.S. Women's Open uh, a couple of weeks ago, four or five weeks ago, to be with the family uh, during the first passing. Uh, And then the second passing took place uh, during an off week, so she was already home for that. But, you know, to kind of go through that and, and not really be able to concentrate fully uh, on the golf course because of what was going on off the golf course uh, kind of makes this win all that much more impressive.
2: Adam Stanley joining us on Inside Sports. He covered Brooke Henderson's win at the Canadian Open, uh, writes uh, for the LPGA and for uh, Canadian Press. You know, we, we in Canada, we always want that next generation, especially sports that aren't played on ice, because those are the sports we you know we, we kind of always feel like we should be better at, but we don't always get over, over the hump. I mean, we're still waiting for our Canadian men's soccer team to uh, kind of amount to anything despite those participation numbers in youth soccer. We're always about Uh, you know but we mentioned Henderson's age I mean in some ways she's the the present and the future but but I wonder your take on it when maybe uh, hopefully we see many more young excellent Canadian female golfers I mean sometimes it can take a while right I mean Steve Nash um, for a while was the men's Canadian basketball player he was synonymous with men's Canadian basketball uh, you know and then sort of a generation later we, we see other guys come along uh, what, what do you think this means for women's golf in general in the country?
3: This is probably the biggest moment in Canadian women's golf period um, I think that based on all of the um, the young girls and boys who I saw, uh, walking the fairways in Regina wearing, uh, you know, the pink visors and wanting to be that much closer to Brooke Henderson uh, than they would be if they watched her on television was something truly special and, and truly unique. And, you know, tweeted something really, you know, insightful. I thought that, you know, Brooke is doing basically what Mike Weir did in the early 2000s uh, to inspire a, a generation of, of people to want to pick up the game. So, um, you know, I think if you look at basketball, that example you, you mentioned a few minutes ago, Steve Nash, Vince Carter, for example, in Toronto uh, in the early 2000s, now we've had, uh, you know, a handful, four, five, six guys uh, come up through the ranks and, and now we're in the NBA and there's another group of them in college. So you you look at maybe a 10- or 11-year-old girl who watched Brooke Henderson do this um, You know, there's there's a lot of them out there that maybe in six or seven years are going to be competing against Brooke, who's only going to be 27 herself. So I think it's definitely a a really exciting time for junior golf. We've got uh, two girls who play in the LPGA Tour qualifying school who are you know 18 or 19 themselves, just finished up um, uh, universities, and and they're out there and they're going to qualify. We've got you know five or six on the LPGA Tour already, another handful. On the Symmetra Tour, which is the feeder tour to the LPGA. So, uh, right now is, is golden Brook Henderson time, but uh, the competition is just getting younger in women's golf. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if there was a, you know, like I said, a 10 or 11 year old out there who watched this and said, hey, I, I want to do this too.
2: Adam Wells said, thanks for giving us your first hand perspective of, of covering the tournament and what you think comes next. Really appreciate your time, man. Take care.
3: No worries. Thanks for having me.
2: Great stuff. What a moment. Adam Stanley covered Brooke Henderson's win at the LPGA Canadian Open. Man, I got Mike writing into the show. He has Connor McDavid down for 60 goals this season. That would be awesome. You can text to 630-630. We will uh, go to Washington where the Capitals are trying to repeat. Totally different theme for them. And uh, what about this Yerba kid the Oilers got from the Caps? We'll get some info on him as well. And uh, we will go deeper into the 1899 Cleveland Spiders
0: Got your happy price price line.
2: Discuss. That's when we get back.
0: You're listening to 630 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins.
2: All right, still no score. Blue Jays in Baltimore, bottom of the 5th. Kendrys Morales has homered in 7. Consecutive games for the uh, Toronto Blue Jays, and uh, so far today he is 0 for 2 with a strikeout three hits apiece in that game. All right, you can text 630-630, our phone number 780-496-0063. Again, uh, the, uh, kind of one of the interesting things to watch today, two Canadians playing each other in the opening round of the U.S. Open. Denis Shapovalov advances over Felix alias aliassime who uh, had to retire in the third set with Shapovalov in the lead. Milos Ranoch won earlier today in four sets. So that's uh, some of the notes from tennis. Okay, so here's our off-topic topic for the, the night. So the 1899 Cleveland Spiders had a record in, in Major League Baseball. This was the, the highest level of baseball possible to play in 1899, and still today. Mm-hmm. The Cleveland Spiders played 154 games. Okay. They won 20 of them. Ouch. For a winning percentage of 130. They were 20 and 134, worst record in Major League Baseball history. Now, thanks to the miracle of Wikipedia, now this is even better. Once you get the story, okay. Uh, so I'll kind of summarize it here. The the uh, there were two brothers, who owned the Spiders. They also they bought the St. Louis Browns. But they continued to own the Cleveland Spiders, which was a conflict of interest that, that was later outlawed. You can't own two teams. Uh, so they publicly announced their intention to run the Spiders as a sideshow. So they, they like, actually came out and said, we don't care about this team. We are going to run it as a sideshow. Wow. After six th- I'm getting this off Wikipedia. Uh, after f- 16 uh, 16 home games, their attendance was th- just under 3,200. Now, that's not their average attendance. Okay. That was their total attendance through 16 games. Oh, my goodness. 3,179. Oh. They were averaging 199 people per game. No, it was, it, this was 1899, but Major League Baseball was doing better than that. So this is so, before radio,
0: TV, and everything. Obviously. Well, so, obviously.
2: Yeah. Uh, so the other teams in the National League were refusing to go play in Cleveland because their cut of the ticket revenue wouldn't cover their travel and hotel. So, so after so. After their first 16 home games, they played only 26 more home games the rest of the season, including only eight after the first of July. So, in the process of this horribly bad sideshow of a season, they set a record, which should never be beaten. We talk about yeah. unbeatable records. Well, here's one for you. I would think so. Here's the. I haven't even said the record yet. Hang oh, on. Oh, okay. Hang on. Go well, ahead. probably the attendance record in Major League Baseball i mean, Major League right. Baseball has played a couple games with no fans. Mm-hmm. You'd have to do that all year. That's true. To yeah. to, to uh, beat the new low attendance record, so be- because they played so many road games, they had a hundred and one road losses. But that's impossible to beat mm-hmm. that record. That's impossible to beat that record under the current Major League Baseball schedule. 101 road losses. What do they now do? They they play 81 road games. So you, a mm. team could go 0-81, right? Still be 20 off the record. That's unreal. That, that's un- unbelievable. I now have to find out more uh, about the 1899 Cleveland Spiders. <laughs> I I find this quite fascinating. There's got a, somebody must have written a book. They were 84 games out of uh, first place. That's that's all. Eighty-four games out of first place. Uh, their home record nine and thirty-three. Their road record eleven and a hundred and one. I guess you could say that that season the spiders got squished. Yeah. I wonder if there was uh, a lot of rain in Cleveland that year too. That's amazing, Kellen. I can't. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> So, if somebody if somebody knows anything more about the Cleveland Spiders, please tell me. Or if there's a book or some kind of a chronicle this this there needs to be a movie about the Cleveland Spiders. Oh, definitely. Kind of make it a dark comedy. It's it's it, this is this is too good. Now I now I just want to read about the Cleveland Spiders all night. Actually, you could probably make it a slapstick comedy and people would watch it too. Like that. Oh yeah. Well, that for sure. Outline. That's amazing. I mean, it's it's major league, except they never get good. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and the. <laughs> anyway, uh, there is your off-topic topic for the night. A little bit on the 1899 Cleveland Spiders. Uh, just a footnote on that team: uh, Brian Hall's first job in broadcasting. Wow. He's that good. <laughs> like 20 years before radio was invented. Here's what we're going to do. We will take a quick timeout. You can text your McDavid goal total predictions or your Cleveland spider related comments to six thirty six thirty. We will travel... To the capital of the United States of America. And uh, no, we will not be using the word Trump in the entire interview. Ben Raby is going to update us on the Capitals offseason, on the coaching change, and Jakob Jerbeck, who is now a member of your Edmonton Oilers.
1: This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet.
2: All right, well, uh, Kendris Morales was just at bat for the Blue Jays. He was issued an intentional walk. With no one on base and one out. So the Orioles don't want him to uh, have a chance to tie that record. Uh, somebody asked, uh, Reed, did the Cleveland Spiders move and become another team? Great question. They actually disbanded along with uh, three other... How about this? We think this would ever happen today. The National League of Baseball, after the 1899 season, contracted from 12 teams down to eight. Wow. So that was pretty interesting. Uh, Baltimore... Louisville and Washington also booted out of the National League. Mark says McDavid will have 45 goals and 75 assists. And uh, Tom says if McDavid scores close to 60, the Oilers will make the cup for sure, because that'll mean he'll have like uh, 80 assists on top of that. That is a uh, text from Tom to 630, 630. Fun to talk about now. McDavid telling Chris Johnston from Sportsnet today, he's uh, working on ways to score more. I think the young man will get 53 goals this season. They hit along the wall, a puck to the left boy, kept in by orbit down in front, of shot,
0: and he score! And- It back in along the left-hand side. 7.40 to go. Puck in front. Connolly with a chance. They score! They score! The puck on a rebound for Lars Eller! All we need is a puck drop and release the Hounds. Eller for the draw. And as the puck drops, the words that D.C. fans have been waiting to hear since 1974, the Washington Capitals are the 2018 Stanley Cup champions. It's not a dream. It's not a desert mirage, it's Lord Stanley, and he is coming to
2: Washington. The call back in June from John Walton, the Capitals finally winning the stanley cup well where do they go from here they got a new coach most of the same team back uh, but how are they going to handle being the defending champions to talk about that pleased to welcome back to the show the host of capitals hockey on their radio network the one and only ben raby ben how are you doing we're good reed how are you i'm doing very well uh, great to have you on the show here the uh, hockey off season is slowly winding down which means the Capitals are going to have to uh, very reluctantly turn the Stanley Cup back over to the National Hockey League and the the Hockey Hall of Fame. I'm sure there are some some great stories of celebrations that may never be told from this summer.
1: Exactly, yeah. I was going to say they're going to have to turn more than just the Stanley Cup in come the start of the regular season, right? They're going to have to turn in their uh, their good time card, their party card. It was a, a summer enjoyed by uh, many throughout the organization, certainly uh, I think uh, as evidenced by uh, some videos and, and social media accounts that uh, went out earlier this summer. It looked like they were uh, very much enjoying
2: themselves. You know, from covering the Capitals and, and getting to, to interview the guy and be around him a little bit more, when you saw Ovechkin get the cup and, and the and, and and his reaction, I mean, they say you got to be yourself, right? I mean, sometimes hockey is a sport where it sucks the personality out of the game a little bit, but uh, but not Ovechkin. I mean, that, to, to me, from what I know that was that was absolutely him on display in that moment.
1: Oh man, when he got the first, one, he gets the the Conn Smythe and the cup from Commissioner Bettman that night in Vegas, uh, right on through. In the days that followed, right, as the celebrations got underway in in Washington, D.C., and Novechkin, there's the videos of him in the the famous fountain at the Georgetown waterfront here in D.C., and he was sharing it with the fans and his teammates, and everybody was getting involved. It was very much a case read of sort of follow the leader. You know, he set the tone on the ice, but I think he also set the tone, I think we could all agree, uh, after the fact, as the celebrations were getting underway, and and good for Ovechkin because, as you know, uh, you know that's year being his 13th NHL season, uh, man, was it a long time coming for for Ovechkin for the organization as a whole. Uh, you know, they say uh, you got to learn how to lose before you could win. I mean, this capitals bunch, the core of this team, uh, if you got to learn how to lose, you know, I've been saying it all summer, this team had a Ph.D. in that because they went through the, uh, the trials and tribulations certainly over the years as far as postseason shortcomings that finally this spring, this summer, you could just see it was a, a whole lot of pent-up energy in a positive way that uh, really allowed them to let loose in the manner that they did.
2: Got to tell you this, Ben. The new coach of the Edmonton Oil Kings is Brad Lauer, who was an assistant with the Tampa Bay Lightning, and I had him in studio for an interview last week, and and he said, you know, Washington was just maybe more committed to that heavy physical game, and, and that gave them the edge in that seven-game series. And the Capitals, when they had had those past shortcomings, were often criticized for saying, you know, they got the skill, but but not the sacrifice and all that stuff. Where did that maybe increased willingness to endure all the pain of the postseason and, and be a little more committed to getting that prize at the end. Well, I guess a two-parter. Is, is that an accurate description of what changed in your mind? And if so, where did that attitude start with?
1: Yeah, Yeah, a couple of things. First of all, interesting to hear it from the Lightning perspective because I had not necessarily heard it from that side, but I could tell you that when the Capitals won, it feels like a while ago now, but when they won game six and seven in the Eastern Conference Final, it was back-to-back shutouts for whole field. Ovechkin played very well. There were a lot of headliners who took some of the spotlight there from a the Capitals perspective, but to a man, the Capitals acknowledged that in game six and seven in particular, when they rallied back from a 3-2 series deficit... Uh, they were the they were the more physical. They were the stronger. The team they felt, uh, you know, to answer the first part of that question: Where does it come from? A lot of that comes from from Barry Trotz. Who, of course, is no longer with the organization, but he brought to Washington, going back years ago, this mentality of being a heavy hockey team, playing a little heavier, and as series goes go along, uh, wanting to put that investment in. Maybe you lay the lay the body in games one, two, and three. And if the series should go deep, if it should go six and seven, as was the case in the East final against the Tampa Bay Lightning, you might be able to reap the benefits the deeper the series goes along. And certainly in that Eastern Conference final against Tampa Bay, uh, it came true. There were other examples of that in the Barry Trotz tenure where it came true. Earlier rounds, you know, obviously they had never made it this deep, but certainly uh, when when the stakes were as high as they were in that East final against uh, a highly skilled Tampa Bay team, uh, the Capitals prided themselves on that. Real quick, uh, a number just to throw out: you even in Game Six that they won on home ice, the Capitals to avoid elimination, uh, they beat the Lightning three nothing. They outshot them badly. They controlled possession. They controlled the puck. Yet they still outhit them, thirty-nine to nineteen in that Game Six on home ice. And and to that point, to bring it back full circle, uh, certainly it was uh, a cognizant uh, part of the game plan that they were going to lay the body and. Uh, Certainly, it was uh, as big a reason as any why they were able to rally from uh, 3-2 down in
2: that East final against the Lightning. Ben Raby joining us on Inside Sports from the Washington Capitals Radio Network. Okay, so the Capitals are now in a unique situation, a team that won a championship but will have a new coach. How do you look at the transition from Trotz to Reardon?
1: Well, I'll tell you, Reardon uh, ought to be prepared for this, because this has been, uh, for himself anyways, sort of uh, a long time coming. You know, spent years as an assistant coach with the Pittsburgh Penguins, four years as the top assistant slash associate head coach here under Barry Trotz. He has been working towards this, uh, Todd Reardon, and certainly in addition to it being unique in terms of he's taking over a defending Stanley Cup champion, you got to keep in mind, too, it's not as if they just brought somebody in off the street. Again, it's four years here with the organization. There's a whole lot of familiarity. So I would say in terms of some of those elements he has working in his favor, Todd Reardon, and the team familiar with him, too. And there wasn't a whole lot of turnover as far as the roster, which is also very unique. Uh, Todd Reardon, having specialized or worked primarily with the Blue Liners over the past few years, uh, with the exception of Jacob Yarebeck, of course, now in Edmonton, the, the Capitals are returning their top seven D from a year ago. Uh, they're returning 11 of the top 12 forwards. So the roster stays intact for the most part. And again, there is that familiarity with Todd Reardon, um, who really has been waiting a, an awful long time for this. Real, Real quick read, even years ago, a couple of years ago, uh, interviewed for a number of head coaching jobs, uh, the Calgary Flames, the Buffalo Sabres, going back a few summers ago, and then that was 2016. Then last year, 2017, uh, the Capitals, uh, you know, put the X up. They said uh, they didn't want him interviewing for any other head coaching positions. They gave him an extension as an assistant to remain with the Capitals. So that sort of suggested too that if there ever was going to be a change in Washington that he was sort of being groomed as, as the head coach in waiting, if you will. And again, while it is maybe a little bit unorthodox, the, the way you know a defending Stanley Cup champion is going to come into a season with a new bench boss, uh, the fact that it is Todd Reardon, in other words, it was going to be anybody. Uh, it certainly makes the most sense that, uh, that it is Todd Reardon's job moving
2: forward. Okay. Uh, you mentioned Yerbeck uh, signed by the Oilers a couple of weeks ago as a free agent defenseman, uh, and obviously the Oilers, uh, you know, big hole on the back end with Sekra going down for, you know, likely at least half the season, maybe more, uh, with the Achilles tendon tear. Tell us your scouting report uh, on Yerbeck. I know he hasn't played a lot in the NHL. The Capitals got him from Montreal during last season, and he only played two playoff games, so I know you didn't see a lot of them uh, but what do you think his strengths and weaknesses are?
1: Yeah, I mean, very much, you know, sort of a, a third pair defenseman is what he was here in, in Washington, not uh, not entirely, I'll be honest, Reed, familiar with just how far deep the, the Oilers' uh, back end goes. But here in Washington, you know, a third pair, a 70, an extra D, if you will, a guy who won't necessarily wow you, you know, not a flashy type of player, but no, he can scoot, he can move. He didn't see him a lot on the power. we didn't see him at all on the power play in Washington, but sort of a, a little bit of an offensive mind there in terms of the ability to move up ice, to carry the puck up ice, uh, you know, a left shot who could play both the right and the left side. Uh but again, a guy who for the most part, uh not a big guy can won't wow you a whole lot, but you know, in the limited time we saw him in Washington, for the most part he was pretty steady ultimately come postseason time. Uh, he only lasted a few games before sitting as a healthy scratch, so again, at least uh, for a Stanley Cup contender in Washington, you know it was very much uh on the fringe. He brought some depth down the stretch, and for the most part, his minutes were limited so again the the sort of you know he didn't wow he didn't flash you, but uh, at the same time uh you know no significant gaps or anything like that uh, come to mind either
2: all right well uh different storyline in uh in Washington i mean. Uh, I, I, I'm old enough to remember the Capitals getting good for the first time because they weren't very good for about the first decade. They were in the NHL, and then even since the late 80s, they've kind of been wearing that tag of uh, close but not quite good enough. So they finally got over the hump. We'll see how they do coming off the victory. man. I know we'll do this again throughout the season. It is always a pleasure to have you on the show, man.
1: Yeah, likewise. Appreciate it. Real quick, a little side story. Real quick, I'll make it quick. Uh, Todd Reardon, a lot of his credit, a lot of the credit he gives as far as you know, his being put in this position, he actually attributes a lot of it unsolicited to Todd McClellan. So a little bit of an Edmonton connection there. Todd McClellan was Todd Reardon's head coach uh, back in the American Hockey League in 2005. I believe it was with the uh, Houston Aeros at the time. The, the Minnesota Wild AHL affiliate, and Todd Reardon was sort of at the end of his career, and it was Todd McClellan who sat him down and said, "All right, you got to start thinking post-playing career." and Sat him down and gave him some tips on being a coach. And uh, Todd Reardon again, unsolicited, a number of times this summer, I've heard him uh, credit Todd McClellan for sort of getting him started and uh, geared towards that uh, post-playing career, which you now he's uh, going to fully reap the benefits of.
2: Well, cool, Ben. Thanks for sharing that, Todd Reardon, with some credit for uh, Oilers head coach Todd McClellan. Reardon taking over for Barry Trotz for the Stanley Cup champion Washington Capitals. Not a lot of changes to their team. Probably what changes is uh, is now the uh, the expectation and the, and the questions around the team. Now it's not, uh, are you ever going to do it? It's, uh, can you do it again? Can you deal with the bullseye every night? That's going to be a storyline for the Capitals. Good to get an update there from Ben. And uh, you heard him say it, and that's kind of what we have on Jakob Yerbeck, signed by the Oilers a couple weeks ago as a free agent defenseman. Depth guy likely uh, competing for a six, seven, eight spot on the Oilers. He uh, can pass. He can move the puck. We'll see if he can do it well enough to be a regular Oiler this season. Some uh, text to six thirty. Six thirty. Oh, here's here's a here's a bit of a wiseacre. Connor McDavid is going to be terrible. He will only get 29 goals. Oh, I'm a Calgary fan. Lol. All right. And uh, Jeter says I'm more worried about Seidel. Is he going to be an elite player? This year, well, he's uh, he's been what 77 points two years ago, and then 70, still pretty good. He, uh, like most of the Oilers, was not as engaged and did not check as well throughout most of the season. I think if uh, somebody steps up and gives him at least one good winger, that's going to help a lot. And we we go back to the power play. If it is anything better than incompetent, that's going to improve the points totals and the goal totals for a lot of guys. When they made the playoffs, the Oilers had 56 power play goals during the regular season. Last year, they had 31.
0: 630 Chad
2: Inside Sports
0: with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.